Welcome to episode 6 of the Autism Podcast, delivered by the London Autism Group Charity. I'm delighted to see that our podcast is gaining some traction, with listeners coming from all sorts of places around the world, including course the UK and the USA but also Australia, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Canada, Ireland, Korea, Spain, France, Tunisia, Sri Lanka, Lebanon, Israel, Brazil, South Africa, Singapore and many many more countries. We've been getting our first subscribers as well and so far we've had just over 1200 downloads which I think is pretty good for just five episodes over just four months since launching. In the next episode, which we hope to release by the end of February or early March, we will be talking to my wonderful friend, Dr. Emily Lovegrove, who is a lecturer and leader of many workshops on anti-bullying strategies, which should be a very interesting and powerful episode, especially given how rife bullying towards autistic people unfortunately is. For today's episode, I speak with Anna Kennedy OBE, who talks about her extraordinary journey. Anna is a very well-known autism ambassador, especially here in the UK, having founded the charity Anna Kennedy Online, which has been hugely impactful in raising acceptance since it was formed in 2009. I'll let Anna talk through all the various activities that she and her charity has been involved in, including two schools, a college and a respite home that she's founded. However, one thing I would like to draw your attention to first is an album that Anna's charity has produced called Building Bridges, which exclusively features autistic adults. Anna very kindly gave me a copy, and I've been listening to it, and it's absolutely fantastic, and I really recommend you check it out if you get a chance. During the interview, Anna talks about her passion for music and how her charity produced this and other albums. But before I start the interview, I'd like to first play a one-minute snippet from one of the songs on the album titled... All I Want Is You by Bradley Turner. After this snippet, the interview will immediately begin, and I hope you enjoy. All I want is you All I want is you No one else will do So I have here with me Anna Kennedy, OBE. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, lovely to be here. <laughs> Thanks for being on. It's really a real honour to have you on. I know from your background and reading about you, you've just had the most extraordinary career and life and had incredible impact. Uh, probably not quantifiable, actually, that yeah. impact. I don't it? really yeah. think about it like that. For me, it's just like, right, what have I got to do today? It's, I don't reflect a lot back on what I've done. Amazing. And I think it's because of my sons and obviously they're now men 29 and 26 I can't even believe I'm saying it but um we've been through different stages so um 
obviously now um, I look at a lot of what happens to adults, but with having Healing Demand mm. School, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, mm. I'm always looking at children. And I don't want parents to struggle like I did when I um, my boys were first diagnosed. We moved from Middlesbrough, probably picked up my accents from the northeast. I just felt so isolated in London because my husband was studying at Brunel University and I didn't know anyone. Oh, so you were in London first? Um, so what happened was I was born in Middlesbrough um, and my mum and dad are Italian mm. and um, had a very strict upbringing. My dad was very strict Italian mm. and it was um, good girls stay at home and all this rubbish. Um, so yeah, so what happened was I had to really fight to... Um, and then I met Sean and that's why I moved to London with him because he was studying at Brunel University. Um, so oh, right, we right. sort of made mm. a, our life here really. And, so you um, met at university? I met him, I was working in Middlesbrough, I was working in a community centre and during the day um, I was working in the library and then in the evening, funnily enough, I was working with special needs children, um, obviously before I knew anything about autism and um, I used to teach them exercise and dance because it was something, uh, I, I became a, a dance teacher, I used to do tap dancing um, and then um, I was part of a, like a youth group as well. So I was doing whatever I could to integrate the children within the groups. So, and the other thing was, which is like really weird, um, when I first met my husband, the first present he bought me was a book and it was about a young lad called Dibs. And they thought he had an autism spectrum condition. And I, I always joke and say to my sister, when he gave me the book, I should have ran. <laughs> <laughs> but um, isn't that weird how things yeah, pan out so yeah, yeah so my husband was studying bi biochemistry at um, Bruno University in Uxbridge and he travelled down and I was still in Middlesbrough at the time and then as soon as he got to London he rang me and just said I can't do this I can't leave you behind so I just said I'm, oh. I'm coming down so oh. um, I came down um, to London and we were really struggling we had hardly any money between us um, I've worked in Woolworths part-time um, just yeah. to sort of make ends meet. He was working in Tesco's and filling shelves as well as studying. So we did whatever we could because obviously we didn't realise how expensive everything was in London yeah. compared to where we lived in Middlesbrough. Mm. So then um, I started working for Sanderson's, which is like a textile manufacturer. I was working um, in a gym as well in the evening, teaching dance. So we were doing whatever we could. Mm. And then I always said I wanted to have my first child before I was 30. And I had Patrick when I was um, 29 and 10 months. And I had a really, really difficult pregnancy. I had eclampsia, I had toxemia. So Patrick was born 11 weeks premature and he was only two pounds. So um, I didn't see him for two days because I was so ill. Um, I had to have 24 hour care because um, I, I, I was just really, really ill. And um, I wanted to see my son and um, they couldn't even take a photograph of him at the time all those years ago because the camera was broken in Skaboo so I didn't even know what he looked like so I said to my husband like as I sort of came in and out of uh, consciousness like how is he what's how's he doing and he's going he's fine he's fine and then I remember when I was well enough they wheeled me into Skaboo and I saw him then I just broke down crying because obviously he was so small I didn't know what to expect there was tubes going in and out of him um, and he was very ill for the first seven weeks of his life um we weren't sure if he was going to make it he had the last rites and then they gave him um a blood transfusion and that was the making of him i always remember when they gave him the blood transfusion he looked like a little tomato <laughs> and um he was so small that they didn't have 
um, socks at that time. Obviously, things have progressed 29 years down the line, but they used to have to sellotape the socks around his ankles because he kept moving up and down in the incubator and like was rubbing his the skin. Um, so once he had the um, blood transfusion, so thank you whoever gave Patrick the blood, um, he then progressed quite quickly. So I was able to bring him home um, and he was five pounds when I brought him home. Um, we lived in a one bedroomed house and I remember it was because um, we didn't have a lot of money at the time. We, um, we got something where it was part rent, part buy and that was the only way we could do it. Um, and he was at home for ooh, just over a week and my mother-in-law came to visit from the northeast. And um, we used to put Patrick in a, um, in one of those um, little cradle, um, a Moses basket, that's what, mm. what it was. And I thought, he's sleeping a long time. So um, when I went to, because uh, I kept checking on him, because obviously being premature, first child, you were like yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. overprotective. And then I just saw his lips were all blue. And um, my mother-in-law, luckily, was a nurse. And um, she said, we need to get the ambulance. He's just not well at all. So when I rang the ambulance, they said it was going to be a little bit of time before they came. So we grabbed Patrick, put him in the... Um, back seat of the car my mother-in-law was with him I drove like a mad woman to the hospital I went through red lights I went on the pavement I didn't care how yeah, I got there course, yeah. and then we just pulled into the um, accident emergency we left the car I ran in and then it just so happened that the consultant that was working with um, Patrick in Skaboo was walking past E and E and wow. he said, what's the matter? And I said, someone's got to see Patrick now. So I remember we went into a room. I remember my mother-in-law and I holding hands. And he held um, Patrick up in his arms. And he did this like drop movement to try and help him breathe again. And he did it twice. And then all of a sudden, Patrick took a really deep breath. And then they rushed him off. And he had septicemia. So, yeah. So he wow. had a really tough couple of years Patrick seemed to pick up anything that was going he got whooping cough he had rickets he couldn't synthesize vitamin d so he had to have uh, vitamin d injections and he became a very very clingy child and I thought why he wasn't interacting with other children was because of the tough start that he had and he was always with me we was always in Wendy Ward at Hillingdon Hospital and I spent so many nights overnight with him because he used to pick up anything that was going pick up chest infections so um, when he started nursery, he just screamed the whole time I took him there. He, um, the only person he um, really made friends with, if you like, was uh, one of the carers there called Maria. And he had quite a close bond with him. And um, he just didn't mix with the other children at all. And obviously at that time, I didn't know he had Asperger's syndrome. But we were going to the consultant paediatrician at Hillingdon Hospital at the time to make sure he was passing all the milestones. Um, Anyway, apparently they diagnosed him um, at four years old with Asperger's syndrome, but they didn't tell us. So, yeah. What? Yeah, they didn't tell us. We found out by accident three years later because of the difficulties Patrick was having at school, not mixing with the other children, being bullied, um, getting very angry. We were going to see a therapist as a family. Meanwhile, Angelo was born and Angelo was passing all the milestones. Um, and then when he got to about two, two and a half years old, he lost everything, his speech, his eye contact, glazed over eyes, wouldn't let me touch him. Being an Italian mom, I, I was very much clingy, you know, kissy, love my son, but he just didn't want me to touch him. He was fixated on patterns on the wallpaper. Because remember we had, because I worked at Sanderson's Textiles, they had very flowery wallpaper and he used to get fixated on the patterns. Um, so it was a very difficult time, I remember. 
I felt almost at the time, because I was so tired from the lack of sleep and from the difficulties that we were going through, I was on automatic pilot. It was just like getting through the days as best we could. And my husband was going to work during the day. He'd come home, then I'd go to work at half past six. I used to work for a doctor's answering service called Health Call. And um, then I worked till half ten, a um, few nights a week. And then uh, a couple of nights a week, I taught Keep Fit. It was a bit of a good, good stress buster for me as well. But I, I just don't even know how we kept going. We were just like, obviously struggling. Um, and then, um, because of all the difficulties... Patrick was having at school, he was getting hold of the steering wheel when I was driving there, we had a couple of car accidents because I kept turning around saying, Patrick, put your seatbelt on, all those sort of things, um, and Angelo was in the car with me, I hated all the looks of pity I used to get from the parents trying to get him into school, I struggled for two and a half years doing this, sitting in the um, reception desk, um, coming at lunchtime, sitting with him in the library again with Angelo in tow, um, trying to do whatever I could to help him um, relax in school and not get so anxious, not get so angry, drawing angry pictures of himself with his school uniform on, steam coming out of his ears, making detonators out of cornflake boxes because he wanted to blow up the school. Um, what does cuckoo brain mean, mummy? What does bird brain mean, mummy? And it was because obviously the kids were calling these names. So then that was when one particular day, and I always remember it, I was trying to get Patrick out of the car then he'd wrapped his legs around the buggy. Um, we, going into St Mary's School, going into the gate, used to park across the road. There was a gate across the road. And that's where parents used to hang out outside the gate chatting. And I just could not get him across the road. And he, I always remember there's a brick wall and he had his hands on the wall and his face in, buried in the wall. And he was just really, really sobbing. I thought, I can't do this anymore. Mm. So then one of the parents went to get the head teacher. She came out. She actually had nine children. She had nine of her own? <laughs> yeah, nine children of her own. Oh, my thought, goodness. Oh, my word. But anyway... Um, How old is Patrick at this point? He's 29, just 29 uh, this month. No, no, sorry, during this, oh, this point, period. Sorry. This point, uh, yeah. He was seven. Hmm. So she then came out and said, what are we doing to this young man? So she was the one that called the meeting. The so, mum? Um, no, the, the, the head, head teacher. teacher. Mm. She called the meeting. So Patrick was um, working with a one-to-one. Um, who At that time, we didn't know yet autism or Asperger's syndrome and um, there was lots of different professionals that came in even though he was diagnosed yeah but we didn't know but you didn't no, know yeah, no unbelievable unbelievable yes yeah. psychotherapist that we were seeing as a family because of the difficulties that we were having because Patrick was sleepwalking he was um, having difficulties um, sort of urinating in bed and all this sort yeah. of thing and, and then Angelo um, obviously got diagnosed but I thought Angelo was diagnosed first, but obviously he wasn't. It was Patrick. So I was like trying to think, you know, am I doing something wrong? You know, have I, I was trying to think back, well, you know, even like during the pregnancies, I don't drink, I don't smoke. You know, when you're trying to look yeah. for something to blame, yeah. but there's no, nobody to blame. It, that's just the way yeah, it is. Yeah, I did that. Uh, I yeah, did that also. Yes. I think a lot of people, a lot of parents yeah, do that initially. Husband, I remember yeah. just sort of. He was just going to bed and putting the blanket over his head like things mm. weren't happening. So it was not, not a very, very difficult. Yeah, very difficult time. So anyway, we had the meeting. The therapist that we were going to see as a family, again, hadn't told us that Patrick was diagnosed. We thought we were going because of his anxiety and because he was mm. premature, all the difficulties he'd had. Mm. Um, and she wrote a report. I remember we were all sitting in the um, room and uh, the report was handed out to everyone. And I remember reading the first sentence and it said, Patrick Kennedy was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome in 1994. So I thought, what? 
And because obviously Angelo had been diagnosed, I'd been reading about, because you're hungry for information, because no yeah. one sits down with you and said, this is what autism is. They don't point you in the right direction at that time in 1999. Obviously, no, that was the early 2000s at that time. And um, they just like, I couldn't concentrate. I, I still remember that feeling as well of like, I felt like the blood from my, yeah, yeah, I felt like the blood in my feet <laughs> rushed up to my head and I couldn't concentrate. And then the head teacher You must said, have been in shock, right? I was yeah. as well, but it was, you know, when you're just like thinking, oh my God, I've got two sons who are right, autistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But that's just how I felt at that time. Mm. Um, so then the head teacher, I remember her saying to me, oh, Mrs. Kennedy, why didn't you tell us that Patrick was diagnosed? We might have had all these difficulties over the last few years. So I just said, um, because I've just found out now the same time as everybody else. So I remember the room going really quiet. Um, so anyway, after that, they said they couldn't meet Patrick's needs. It was time then for Angelo to start the nursery. Then they said they couldn't meet Angelo's needs because he was quite severely autistic. He had no speech and uh, sensory processing, and which I'd learn as you go down the line, as you do. So I ended up with two boys at home, not school to go to. So I remember the local authority at that time saying to me, the ball's in your court, it's up to you to find a school for your son. So I thought, well, how do I know what school to look for? They're both so different from each other. You read in all these different books of all the different strategies. At that time, there was Lovas, there was um, all these various uh, strategies. What's a speech? What's a SALT? What's a OT? You know, all these acronyms that yeah, you read about and yeah. you just think, well, what's that then? What yeah. do they do? Do I need one of them? You know, all those sort of things. The world of acronyms. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that is the SEN world is very much yeah. the world of acronyms. Yeah, even SEN is. An yeah, I know. <laughs> it is, but it's just yeah. so much so. Yeah. You have to learn a different language, don't you, yeah, once your child's been yeah. diagnosed right. uh, with the autism spectrum. Yeah. So um, I, I remember reading and I counted at that time 17 different ways of working with children with autism when you start researching. Mm. I thought, well, how do I know which one's suitable for Patrick? How do I know which one's suitable for Angelo? Where do I find a speech and language therapist? Where do I find an, an occupational therapist? So, so um, many questions, right? There are, yeah. there are, and no one to ask them to at that time. Mm. Felt very, very isolated. Obviously, I'd moved from Middlesbrough to London, didn't really know many people. I'd never mm. met a person that had a son or a daughter that was autistic. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, and then I was told as well from the Londonborough Pillingdon that um, my kids were unique. And there weren't other, any other children in the borough that had a diagnosis of autism. So. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. E equally incredible. It was That's at that time. Yeah. So yeah. Um, wow. I remember bumping into a mum and she was struggling in the street. And I thought, I recognise those tantrums, the way this boy was behaving. Mm. So I went up to her and I just said, do you need any help? So she burst into tears and she said... My son's just been diagnosed with semantic pragmatic language disorder. I've never even heard of that before. I thought, what, what is that? So then she said, oh, I've heard it's, it could be part of the autism spectrum, blah, blah, blah. So we, anyway, we started chatting. And then we decided, because we started hearing about other parents who had similar children, I went to a local newspaper and I said, we want to set up a support group because there's nothing out here. Because we'd heard that the original support group had closed down in Hillingdon because the parent that had run it found she couldn't cope with it anymore. So there was just... Nothing. So anyway, what happened was, eventually, 275 families that had children on the autumn spectrum came out of the woodwork. So we set up a, a little support group um, in the church hall. So I used to go to um, church and the priest said, oh, you can have the hall um, every Wednesday afternoon and you can have it um, in the evening. 
So that's how we started. Amazing. So, how did you find the families? 275. Uh, Obviously, the, presumably they, they grew, that number grew over time, right? It but grew how? quite quickly mm. because of an oh, article yeah. in the, the Oxbridge Gazette. Oh, so that's okay. how we did it. And I've become friends with the um, reporter, still know her today, today. She's just recently written a book and I'm one of the chapters in her book about mm. how we met and how from when we met, where I've got to type of thing. Yeah. Um, what was going on in those support groups? How What... What kind of so, what, so uh, there mm. was support? There um, were parents of children, teenagers, mm. um, parents who had kids at home like me that were just getting five hours home tuition or ten hours home tuition. Mm. Um, parents of adults that were in mental health unit. And mm. um, there was a gentleman that came to the group. His son was misdiagnosed with schizophrenia. He was given medication for schizophrenia, mm. and he then developed psychotic episodes mm. because of this. Mm. And then they discovered he didn't have schizophrenia. It was Asperger syndrome. So um, he was in the mental health unit because of breakdowns that he'd had. So he came to the group and said, I need to get my son out of this place. You wouldn't even, I know you've got kids, he said, but you wouldn't even believe what this place is like. He said, I don't even know how people are supposed to get better in this unit. So he said, we need to get the support early for your kids because they just don't need to be in this place where he's at. So um, I went to visit him um, in the unit. I actually came out, I felt physically sick. Um, it, they've changed it now they've got a new unit but at that time I, I totally got what he was saying I thought how are people supposed to get better in this place he was mixed in with um, uh, people who were on uh, drugs people who were alcoholics people who had really severely quite mental health when I walked in there um, it was no disrespect to the workers but none of them spoke English um, there was a chap that had a steel bar that was scraping it across the wall as he was walking um, his son was in a bed next to another chap that had um, drug issues and the only thing that separated them was a curtain and the curtain was ripped there was food up the wall there, there was no bottoms to the seat when you sat down when you sat down on the seat your bum hit the floor um, like I thought is this the place for real and I came I just like couldn't sleep all night um, so he obviously wanted to get his son out of there because he wasn't making any progress so um, we set up the school because there were so many kids that were in a similar position and um it was a real big learning curve because obviously we'd never set up a school before. I didn't know how to set up a special educational needs school. So what I did was I went to um, the local authority and there was um, head of client services and uh, she basically um, told me about this building and obviously um, the chap whose son was diagnosed with Asperger's and schizophrenia, he knew about the building as well. But if you didn't go down this lane, you wouldn't know that this school existed because it was overgrown because it had been left for like two years and they were going to knock it down and build 37 flats. So I said, well, how about this building might be suitable for a school? And they were saying, you're mad. You know, how are we going to set up a school? We've never set up a school before. So I thought it was actually really close to where I lived and so close that I could walk there in like five minutes, ten minutes. So I went, I remember going down the lane and I saw that there was all these like fences around it and it was a proper school and it used to be a school for children with physical disabilities and um, because the doors weren't wide enough for the wheelchairs they decided they were going to knock it down. So I remember climbing over the fence and I was looking in it and I was, they'd smashed the sinks, they'd smashed the toilets, had a big hole in the roof. But I thought we could do something with this. Mm. So um, I, that's when I, I approached Mary Milne, this lady from Head and Client Service. And I just said, this building's here. This would be great for kids with autism. I said, I'm sure we could get teachers, head teachers, blah, 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 blah. So she said, just leave it with me. I'll see what I can do. So to cut a long story short, they said um, that, that we'd had to do a feasibility study, which we did. 
And my husband luckily had just finished um, a business and economic degree, so he was able to do the business plan. We went to lots of banks, and um, we had no money in the bank. We had three grand in the bank. That was it. Um, and lots of banks were saying, "Great story. Shut the door on the way out. Type of thing. Mm. What do you know about setting up a school? You know, you haven't got cats in health hands." And what I found to this day, really, that people who tend to help you are people who've had experience of either bringing up a daughter or a son on the spectrum or their nephew or a godmother or whatever it is or they've worked. So this bank manager at the time from Barclays Bank, he was a special educational needs teacher before he became a bank manager. So I went to see him. He could see the vision. He couldn't give us the money, but he said, what I can do is I can write a letter for you in such a way that the local authority will think you're going to get the money, but it's down to you to get the money. I said, write the letter. So that's what he did. And then we got the keys. And we got the keys on Patrick's birthday in 1999. I've still got the picture of us going to the Civic Centre. So we got the keys. I went into the building and I thought, what do we do now? It had, I just needed so much work doing to it. So I thought, right. Again, I went to um, the reporter and I said, can you help me write an article so that people in the community... Princess Trust came on board, the probation service came on board, the Navy came on board. We had all these people, parents of kids came on board who just wanted to clean, wanted to paint, uh, granddads that were corgi gas registered because the, the boiler needed fixing. Um, everybody in the community came. We had a we thought we'd do it all in three years and we opened the school in nine months and that was like me constantly, come on, you know, let's mm. um, and then the whole school itself was open in eighteen months. Um and my two children were the last two to be funded two weeks before we opened the school. The local authority were not going to fund Patrick and Angelo going to the school. I thought, after all of this that we've done, you're not even going to fund what we've done. Um, so, But in the end, they did. Um, we had a great head teacher. She was also a speech and language therapist at the time. She'd been working for 20 years with kids on the spectrum. Um, we had to learn everything like how do I write an article for a head teacher I've never so I, somebody told me about the Times Educational Supplement have a look at the articles in there and it was just like learning learning mm. learning and um, so it was a real big learning curve it wasn't smooth it was really tough um, but if I had to do it again I would um, hundreds of children have gone through the school now we're going to be celebrating 20 years in September I can't believe it um, and yeah it's just been it's been an amazing experience. The school now um, is over three sites. So we've got 190 children that travel in from um, 18 different local authorities. Um, the, then we decided a couple of years into setting up the school um, because of this gentleman with his um, adult son in the mental health unit who was still in there, that we needed to set up an adult provision. So we thought, oh, yeah, we're going to have to learn about that now. So... Um, Quite, I'm quite good at finding buildings and like driving around <laughs> and looking. So we found this um, place in Risley and it was a hospital and it was St. Vincent's Hospital and it was for people that had back problems. So it was on a, a footprint and it was only going to be available for three to five years. So I thought, well, we'll get it dirt cheap, probably peppercorn rent or something. Um, so we did. And um, again, everyone came out of the woodwork to help us. So we basically opened a residential home for eight adults and then a vocational college for up to 20 adults. Um, so we managed to get his son out of the uh, mental health unit. And I'm pleased to say now he is living in his own flat. flat. Um, and yeah, he's just made so much progress. Um, and now uh, we have 
three different sites for the college. Uh, we're just looking at another site. Um, so there's um, something like 65 adults and then there'll be an availability for another 20. Angelo goes to uh, one of the colleges for just 11 because he needs uh, very much one-to-one -one support. We're working on his independent living skills all the time. Angelo's quite severely autistic. He's got quite a significant sensory processing condition and he also uh, has nocturnal epilepsy, hence why he doesn't sleep a lot. Um, I still, at 26, Angelo sleeps three to four hours a night. We've had a few all night as well. He doesn't go to bed at all. But um, yeah, it's been like a big learning curve for me. And if I was to go back all those years from my dad stopping me from going to college and that because good girls stay at home with their mums and dads, I, I'd never thought that I would achieve what I've achieved. But I think it's because of my sons and the love for my sons and speaking to other families that that's what drives me. So from setting up the college, uh, West London Community College, we set up the residential home. Um, the chaps that we uh, set up the school with, they wanted to retire and do other things, so that was fine. So we had to find somebody that would be willing to come on board. Uh, we didn't have the money to buy everything. It was just like too much money. Um, so um, this company came on board called Hillcrest um, for a few years. And they were very much similar mindset, but they were more uh, foster care uh, emotional behavioural problems but I liked the way they work um, and then the chap um, had a heart attack so his wife said he had to he, he was a very much like me a workaholic so he, was, he had his finger in too many pies and so then he then um, sold it to another company that's made it an even bigger company with lots of um, different outlets so where we first set it up it's just like something like four or five percent of the whole thing but we've still got the school there um, Still got the college. We set up another school in um, Kent um, for parents. I always remember going to Kent and the parents were very downtrodden. The local authority was just like not having any of it. Uh, a lot of the parents, what I would say, had lost their mojo. So I riled them up saying, come on, if you don't fight for the rights of your child, who's going to do it for you? So I've uh, motivated quite a few parents. I'm quite good at motivating people. But on the point of motivating people, mm. so there's going to be a lot of listeners that are going to be living in in areas or communities i mean we get different listeners from all around the world yeah. you know and of course as you know different different places have very very different provisions yeah. or avail and, and availability of okay. services and support so so my question to you given that you're you know that you've you've had this extraordinary experience and you motivate people uh, what advice would you give those those people out there that don't have access to anything and need support and are thinking perhaps about setting something up but you know unsure about it etc yeah. etc you know the, the person that you were essentially yeah. yeah this reminds me of a story um, I met line about 11 years ago and she lived in Pakistan there was nothing there they weren't even allowed to go to school because they had autism so this lady called Maria I won't sort of give too much detail about her, but her name is Maria and she had a son diagnosed with autism and her husband wouldn't accept that he had a diagnosis of autism. He was ashamed because it was the boy of the house type of thing. So she, she, we had lots of conversations. Like when I was up in the middle of the night, I chat to so many parents in the middle of the night because from different countries, because I'm up with Angelo. He's got no sense of danger. So I need to be up to make sure he's safe. So I chat to so many different people from lots of different countries. So she was so upset, depressed, um, Things are happening like she said that, you know, they blamed her for um, her son being diagnosed with autism. 
um, when people came. Her family. Yeah, her family yeah, 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 family. And yeah. I've spoken to so many parents after and that. Community. Yeah, yeah multicultural yeah. issues. Um, and she was told that when someone came to the house, he had to stay upstairs, and she had to stay upstairs with him. He wasn't allowed to come downstairs. I like, I, I like, I couldn't get my head around it, and I'm just thinking, why are you ashamed of your son? It, you know, he's your son. You love him, but this is what was happening with her. There was nothing for her, so she was getting depressed. She knew of five other moms who were going through the same situation. And she didn't know how to get out of it. So I said, why don't you group together? Find a room or something. I said, I'll try and send you whatever I can from the school, like photocopy templates, whatever I can to help you. I'll send you crayons, colouring, bits and bobs. So she said, I'm going to speak to the other mom. So they, apparently they used to take their sons and daughters to the hospital. And they were all of various different ages, various different levels on the autism spectrum. So the hospital agreed to give her a room. So what they did was they set up the room. So I photocopied, I sent her like parcels over to Pakistan and she did open something which was just, it was just parents going in and out, but they had something to focus on. So I gave her ideas of things to do. I made little videos for her. And I always remember the first day of the opening of this place that they'd made this huge banner and it was like, thank you, Anna, type of thing. And since then, she's left her husband. She's moved to a different town. She's now a speech and language therapist. So she's motivated herself. So I always remember Maria from all those years ago, but I do speak to a lot of parents who are still... Say, for example, two of my charity champions, Marla, she won't mind me saying because she tells the story. So she lives in Croydon and she's been working with me for about seven or eight years. She was so depressed. She was getting bullied at the school where her son was going to because her son had autism. Um, Her family wouldn't accept it. Um, She was very, very depressed, very, very quiet. She was getting bullied. Yeah, because of her son Mm. having a diagnosis of autism. Mm. So what happened was I was doing an anti-bullying campaign, which I still do, called Give Us a Break. And I I, I haven't changed the strap line because people remember it and it's quite catchy. So I I try and do different things every year called, but related to Give Us a Break. So I did a piece on London Tonight on the television talking about Give Us a Break, about children being bullied. And um, it was happening a lot in mainstream schools and it was happening at lunchtimes because those are the most unstructured times for our children. And I always remember that was the time that Patrick found it difficult. He was trying to ask children to play with him. He didn't know at that time how to do it. He would stroke their face. He'd get pushed to the ground, all these sort of things. So I remembered at Hillingdon Manor School that we'd set up different lunchtime clubs and they were like, um, pampering for girls, paper plane flying clubs, um, guitar clubs. These kids were thinking up these ideas that they wanted for their clubs. So I thought, that's a really easy way for a mainstream school to do it. I said, it's not going to cost them much. So um, I was talking about it on London Tonight and about um, the statistics that I'd got from the survey that I'd shared about bullying. So Marla was watching it at the time. So she Uh, had approached quite a few big organisations to ask if they would do an assembly at her school because her son was being bullied as well as herself to raise awareness about autism. And none of these organisations would go to the school. They wanted paying, but the school didn't have the budget to pay them to come. So she saw me, she contacted London tonight and she said, "Um, can I contact Dana? I'd like to speak to her and see if she'd come to do an assembly. So anyway, they didn't want to give her my number. So they contacted me and said, would you mind ringing this lady? She's struggling. She told me the story. So the next day, I rang her. She was in the hairdressers, I remember, at the time, getting her hair done. And I said, oh, this is actually... She went, just a minute, just a minute. So 
she said, I can't believe you've rung me straight back. So she, she said, um, she told me at the story, and I said, she said, would you come and do an assembly at the school? I went, yeah, sure, just tell me the date and the time, and I'll be there. So I remember her crying on the other side of the phone. She said, I can't, remember, can't believe, she said, I've been really struggling to try and get some. And I couldn't get my head around what she'd been struggling, why isn't somebody going to the school and talking to the kids? She said, I don't want you to go in the assembly and say, that boy there's got autism, just do a general talk. So, which is what I did. I talked about Patrick, I talked about Angelo. And then what I did in the evening was I did a talk to the parents. Now, I remember that particular day, it was snowing. And I thought in the evening, I thought, oh, none of the parents are going to come. 50 families turned up. And not only of parents who might have thought they children had autism but just generally wanted to know we couldn't believe that 50 families that came so I did the talk and then um, the school started getting interested and blah 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 so it made a difference so I said Marla I said I'd like you to be one of my charity champions so she said oh I don't know if I could do it I said why not I said look what you've achieved here by just doing you know you've made the change in the school and all the rest of it so now she's one of my top charity <laughs> champions she helps me coordinate um, events she looks after my Autism Hero Awards. So, and that's what I'm doing as I'm growing charity champions, ambassadors, uh, patrons across the charity. So most of my ambassadors, most of my um, patrons are either parents of kids on the spectrum or they're autistic themselves, they're role models. So that's what I'm doing is I'm building that across. So if you check on the Anna Kennedy online website, you can read about all my patrons, my ambassadors and my charity champions. So that's Marla. So then, um, Aunt Tally, um, whose son used to go to Hillingdon Manor School, she looks after my marketing. So with reference to like these lovely leaflets that I've got, um, or she's great at doing designing Anna, that. Anna so, yeah, so she's yeah. great at designing these things yeah. for me. So she um, said to me uh, last year um, about still cultural issues with reference to autism. So she said that when her son was younger, she used to take him to the temple. And then they told her... Um, he wasn't allowed to come anymore because he was making noises. So she was really upset about that. My blood, my blood is boiling for the record. <laughs> yeah. So she was like really upset about it. So anyway, they have an event every year in Southall near where her mum lives. And it's just mainly for women. So she said, um, how about we do a talk there? She says, you, you can do the talk and then I can talk about my experience of Taryn. And hopefully we'll raise awareness and hopefully Taryn will be able to go back to um, the temple. So where, so where's the talk being held? Southall. In um, yeah. it was it was above a shop, um, ah. and I can't remember the name of it. I'm not okay. very good so, to remember no, that's it. Right. Yeah, yeah okay. but it was yeah. round the corner from where mum lives. <laughs> right, mum right. and dad are so supportive. And what I can say as well is, if you've got a supportive network of, you know, mum, nanas, granddads, mm. that's a fantastic because a lot of people don't. But if you have, mm. it's just it gives Cute. you time to have a bit of a break as well. So anyway, we went along. It was 150 ladies in this. Um, and it was a lovely event. There was like lovely food, Bollywood dancing. There was like all sorts going on. It was really uplifting. But what some of the things I found difficult to get my head around, some of the women, it was the only event that they went to a year that they were allowed to go to a year. And I thought, what century are we living in here? Anyway, we gave a talk. So my first question, which I do in every event that I go to, I'll say, is there any parents out there of children who've got a diagnosis of autism? No one put their hand up. And I thought, You've got to be kidding me. There must be some parents here that have got um, a dad. So I said, does any... So I thought, I'll change it around. Does anybody know anybody that's on... Nobody put their hand up. Is anyone autistic? No one put their hand up. I thought, 
yeah, whatever. So I thought, I'll carry on with my talk. So I did it. So I said, oh, I'd like to introduce you to Tally. So Tally's going to tell you her story. So Tally, she got a bit emotional as well about speaking about her son. So anyway, we carried on with the rest of the evening. That's very brave of Tally, though. It was. It? And yeah. then yeah. mum was so emotional at the sitting at the front as well. Um, she's lovely. And uh, anyway, as we went out the door to leave, 10 mums came mm. after us and mm. said, thank you so much for doing that. You don't know. I felt like my heart was being lifted as you were speaking. So they said, we, you've given us um, really like some drive here. We want um, to do more awareness raising. We want to do a fundraiser for your charity and all this sort of thing. So then we were contacted and asked the following week, they were having a meeting at the temple. Would I do a talk at the temple with Tally? I said, yeah, sure, I'll come. So we went, remember, we went on Sunday, I had to cover my head and be respectful. All the men were sitting on one side, all the men, women were sitting on the other side. So um, I gave a talk and then Tally got up and spoke about, you know, uh, and after that, it's just been great. They've done a fundraiser for us. They've come to support Autism's Got Talent. It's just like opened up this floodgate, if you like. So I said, you shouldn't be ashamed. There's nothing to be ashamed of. These children and adults, look what they can achieve. And I spoke to them about all the different projects that we did. They came to Autism's Got Talent. They came to a Hero Awards. They absolutely loved it. And these ladies love us. And, you know, they just said, you don't know what you've done. It's amazing, yeah. What's what's telling, what strikes me uh, from that story is that nobody put their hand up when you asked the question. Yeah. Which, you know, is... It's great to. It's not, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it's it's so sad and striking, but also not surprising. No, no, no. Because, of, like you say, I mean, they were afraid to, and that really reflects the, the stigma, doesn't it? Yeah. The autism stigma. You know, that is a concrete, clear example of autism stigma yeah. you know that it's it's something that you shouldn't uh put your hand up and identify with in front of your fellow Absolutely. community in ireland absolutely ridiculous italy it? that it's the mm. shame on the family the that you've got yeah. it's just like what the hell mm. it's just for me it's just like i'm not ashamed of my boys i'm proud of them i talk about what they do you know and, and i talk about our journeys angelo and i go for walks angelo raises money for the charity by doing walks you know that's his way of contributing it's just like, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just a different way of thinking. And it's up to us to support our children and our adults. And I'm always saying training is key. Early intervention is key. And I can see that by the children that come to school. The school, All the kids that come early on, age five, six, seven. When I go to the assemblies, the leaving assemblies, like when they're 16, 17, you can just see the huge difference, the strategies that they've been taught. You know, and they go on to... I remember this young man, he was 16. He was giving his talk at the assembly. And he was told in mainstream school that he would never amount to anything. By the teacher, I thought, sack that teacher. Oh, you'll never get English GCSE. You'll never get this. He walked away with A-star English for his GCSE. I said, get that certificate. Go stick it up her nose. Yeah. But he then gave this amazing speech. And he said that he wants to become a teacher and he wants to come back to the school to teach and you know, give back to what we've given. And it, it's, I speak to quite a few of the students that have left. One young man set up his own painting and decorating business. And I remember him coming to the school all those years ago where, you know, his fingers had been broken by kids at the school. And it, it, the stories that you hear, it's just like, that's why we have our anti-bullying campaign, yeah, which is yeah. the give us a break. And what I do is I give it to the adults themselves. Like, what do you want to talk about? So we, I'm just pleased to say that one of our um, 
young men called um, Patrick Steele Bodger. He created this amazing video in November and it's just won an award, a platinum award wow. for the AV um, a Digital. So I'm really proud. Mm. We only just found out about that yesterday. And we'll so. link all of this in the description. Yeah, so, and then our very first um, young man, um, Ryan, who's now my charity patron, he looks after my YouTube channel. He created a video called Tomorrow and it just went viral. And um, what he did was, he, I said to him, I said, Ryan, I'd like you to create a video for me because he's into creative arts and media. And I said, I'd like you to talk about bullying, create a film about bullying. I said two to three minutes because I find that the longer the video, people switch off, the, they like instant gratification, if you like. So um, he created something with a girl who was being bullied and he filmed it all and all the rest of it. And I said, this was like 48 hours before the actual anti-bullying week. So I said, it's a really good video, video, Ryan, I said, but it should be about you. You should be in it. So he said, well, what do you mean? I said, you're the one that's been bullied. You should be in it. So he said, I said, do you think you could create something like quickly for me? So that's what he did. He did it with a broken tripod and he created it. And he, you, if you can watch it, it's on um, our Anna Kennedy Online YouTube channel and it's called Tomorrow. It's amazing. It went viral on Daily Mail, um, The Mirror, um, people from... Um, across the country, overseas were contacting him that had been bullied. So it, I just, I'm so proud of him. I just said, look what you've achieved. That's another concrete example of you empowering people, I think, because just going, rewinding back for a moment about the story you were saying about Tally going into, yeah. that, into that community event, she just wouldn't have done that had it not been for you, right? I mean, you empowered her. You, you probably, your presence must have sort of acted like a shield uh, and gave her the strength and confidence and belief that she could say what she needed to say yeah. in front of a group that, yeah. that isn't seeing it in the same way and that might be stigmatising things. So she had this bravery and it, and it worked because yeah. you were saying that, you know, she gave this talk and then the momentum happened and yeah. things changed. Yeah. And so, so the point here is that you can challenge stigma, even in collectivist communities where stigma is particularly high and you're yeah. perhaps uh, there's a lot of surveillance going yeah. on and you're worried about it getting out. Yeah. But if you if you um, find if you can somehow find confidence yeah. and empowerment, perhaps from from a role model, someone like Anna that you can talk with and, and bring in and do something with. It make it can make a difference. And yes. it's happened also with, in this case of um, Ryan, you yeah. said, wasn't it, about with bullying? Because he probably, presumably, wouldn't have had the confidence yeah. uh, to stand up and say, yeah, I, th- this is this was me. I, I'm i the one that was being uh, yeah. bullied and, yeah. and, and, and standing up to it. And, I, you know, you again uh, empowered him. Mm. So I think, you know, empowering is, is, is a really key thing here, isn't it, to yeah. standing up? I speak to so many moms. Like, I spoke to hundreds and hundreds. And I've had, I, and then what they do is they, they keep some of the things that I've said to them and they type it in on the phone. And half the time, I can't even remember because I speak to, so, I, there's just no way I could remember everything. And there's one mom, she said that when I feel down, I, re, I read what you've said to me on my phone. And she said, it just thinks, and then I've got other mums that say to me, we follow you on social media. And we think Anna's still keeping going. She, you know, she's up in the middle of the night. Um, I don't share some of the stuff that, you know, happens with Angelo. Like Angelo, still at 26, he still smears. He, he does it up the wall. He does it all over himself. Um, and I clean that at night time. And it's just like, that's how it presents itself with Angelo. If I don't clean it, who's going to clean it for him type of thing? So that's how I'm dealing with it. And they just say that I'm, I motivate people um, and I'd like, I try and focus on the positive things. And I know there's a lot of negative stuff. You read about it all the time. But I'm trying to bring light at the end of the tunnel. And that's, for me, is um, what Autism Got Talent does. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just such an amazing event. And 
You have to be there to appreciate what I'm talking about. We've been doing it now for eight years and the performers, what happens is... Um, so the... So it's just sorry, the, sorry, sorry, just to say... No, yeah, no, yeah, no, no. So the, no, I just wanted to say one more thing and then yeah. we can lead into the um, Autism's Got Talent. Yeah. Just to say that it sounds to me that perhaps you, you yourself, you know, charge up your mental health and your energy and your your drive through the empowering and through the empowering work that you do it gives yeah. you strength and yeah. energy right yeah. keeps you going yeah. and then that enables you to, to keep going excited. in your because I, yeah. I know right, right. it's got talent that's coming up now and I'm getting yeah. excited because I love it so much and it's it's like the highlight of our yeah, year so. Lisa and I work on it quite closely together now Lisa's my PA and for 10 years I didn't have a PA I just did everything myself and then when Lisa came into the office she said oh my god how do you do it? There's like piles everywhere. I said, don't touch anything. I know where everything is. And then when she started working with me, she said, I don't know if I can work with you. She said, everything's in your head. And she said, um, but after sort of, I would say six to eight months, she just thought, I'll get how you work now. And she's been working with me for eight years. And we just like, she worked part-time. She's adapted. Yeah, she has. <laughs> and we're just very close. And mm. um, she just knows, and she finishes my sentences off sometimes. She knows how I'm thinking now. Um, and she just said, if a lot of people knew your day-to-day life, they wouldn't know how you get through it. Because she sometimes I'll come in and I'll just say, what a really tough night, I've only had an hour sleep, or whatever it is. Or whatever it is that I've been through and difficulties I've had. Like, I always say it with autism. Some days good, some days not so good, you know, type of thing. And um, just keep going. And, um, yeah, it's like, it's a big learning curve. And even though I've lived with autism for 20-odd years, you never know everything that there is to know about it. I always say there's always something that will come and bite you on the bottom type of thing. Mm. But we work so closely together. So how um, Autism's Got Talent came about was it came about from the anti-bullying campaign, Give Us a Break. So with the children and adults sharing with me that they were being bullied, parents were also sharing with me that to help them get through their ordeal because they weren't getting the support, some of them were turning to the performing arts. So they were mm. watching YouTube, teaching themselves how to play the guitar, teaching themselves how to play the piano, drawing, um, telling jokes, magicians, you name it, they were teaching themselves how to do it. So I thought, they were sending in me these videos, and I thought, I need to do something with this. These are amazing. So um, at that time, I was at the Woman of the Year Award. And next to um, me was the table where Debbie Moore was. And because I'm into dance, I knew about Pineapple Dance Studios. So I was looking at her and I was just thinking, I'd love to do, because I'd seen some of the dance moves as well that these kids had done. I thought, I'd love to do a dance video. I've seen some dance videos and no disrespect, some of them are a bit tokenistic where um, you've got children with disabilities running around with a bit of ribbon and a ball jump. And I thought, I want to do something cool. I want to show them street dancing, tutting, popping, locking, all this sort of thing. So I thought, I went over to the table. I thought, if I don't ask, that's what I'd learned since setting up the school. If you don't ask, you don't get if they say no, okay then, I'll go to someone else that's going to say yes. So I went up to her and I just introduced myself, said, I'm Anna Kennedy, um, and this is my idea. So she said, I'd like to meet with you. So she said, come to Covent Garden. My office is on the sixth floor, or the fifth floor, I can't remember now. She said, we can have a chat. So her daughter, I found out later on, has got a disability and she's in a wheelchair. Again, as I said to you, you always find someone who helps you who's been through something similar. So um, I went into her office and it was just like amazing. I was bowled off. She had a Tina Turner dress hung up. She was the first woman um, to um, show her company in the FTSE 100. 
Um, amazing woman. She'd met the Beatles and all. It was like her office was like a little museum. Mm. So I gave her my idea and I said, I want to do this DVD. I want to call it Step in the Right Direction. And she introduced me to Maggie. And Maggie is the principal of Pineapple Performing Arts. And I've been working with Maggie now for nearly nine years. Okay. So she invited me to a show at the Mermaid Theatre. And I was looking in the theatre and I was watching her children dancing. She had about 300 kids, all from different ages. And it was very much inclusive, you know. Um, so I remember the little kids were called the Pineapple Chunks. <laughs> it was quite funny. But I was thinking, I could do a show in here. So I was saying to uh, Maggie, how, how would you feel about working with me on this show? This is my idea. And she said, oh, let's, let's chat more about it, which we did. So 2012 was when we put Autumn's Got Talent together. So I put it out there to everyone saying, sending me your auditions. Um, I know you can't come from across the country, so send it to me by the by YouTube. Send me a memory stick, a CD, however you want to send it to me. So everyone started sending in these auditions. I was getting really excited. So um, what we did was we, we chose um, 16 performers from across the country. And then the Pineapple Dancers opened up the show at the Mermaid Theatre. So people were saying, how are you going to put this show together? You've never met these kids. You never, you know, how are we going to do it? So I said, we'll work it. We'll work it out. So we did. So we did what was called a meet and greet. We gave them as much information as we possibly could before they came for the event. We took pictures of the theatre. We took pictures of who's going to be the stage manager, who I was. Who I just tried to think of as many possible things as I could. You know, the car park, what the dressing room looked like, all those sort of things. So um, they came along the night the night before and we did a meet and greet. I remember getting anxious, but I didn't show it because I was just thinking, oh God, what if this doesn't work, you know, and all these people are on, you know, type of thing. But you know what? It did work. And then I said at the end, I said, what I want to do is I want everybody on the stage dancing together. And they were all saying, oh, that's never going to work. How are you going to do that? I said, look, <laughs> if you don't try, you'll never know. So we, at that time, Move Like Jagger was current hits in the charts. So I thought... I'm going to do a tap dance, because I love tap dancing, with a chap that was um, I was um, going to dance class with. And then once we finished, we'll start calling everybody down and they can follow us. So that's what we did. And then um, all these kids came on the stage. We couldn't get them off the stage. It was like the song played and then it played again. They were having so much fun. And then the pineapple dancers started dancing. And then a couple of the kids came out and they started doing a competition, like dancing against them. It was like amazing. And in the end, we had to say, right, we're closing the curtains now. <laughs> but everyone was up. That was It was like, I can't explain it. It was like euphoria for me. People talked about it for weeks and weeks. And the kids wanted to do it again. They loved it. The friendships that were made, that they hadn't got friends. Parents set up groups that they were chatting about it. It was it was so lovely. So I thought, we have to do this again. I actually funded it myself because no one believed in me that we could do it. So I, I in my rainy day fund, I funded the first two years myself. And I remember some people um, writing to me saying, we didn't expect to be entertained. <laughs> Me, I was thinking, well, why wouldn't you expect to be entertained? It's just like some of the comments that people come, I think they came was a bit tokenistic, but then they really had a good time. So it's been so successful now. We're in our eighth year. We've had acts from Croatia, Sweden, America, Canada. This year we've had acts from Hungary, India, like, and it's been so hard for us to choose the final 22. Um it sort of went from 16 to 22 performers because they're so good. And from there, it's given them a springboard, a lot of them now, 
to do other things. So I'm proud to say that one of our young performers who sent me her entry in two years ago, Jasmine, she sent me her entry from her bedroom at home. When I heard her thing, I thought, oh my God, this girl is amazing. She's 11 years old. She's just like, her tone, everything is amazing. So um, I said that we wanted her to sing on the show. The weekend before the show, she said she wasn't going to do it because her anxiety started building up because she's got anxiety issues. She's also got a brother who's autistic. But anyway, we convinced her to come. She sang on stage. You could have heard a pin drop. She got a standing ovation. Wow. And I know people say, you've got some of these shows where they say, don't clap because they don't like clapping. This kid was like soaking it up. She was jumping. She skipped off the stage. So since then, she's performed a couple of more shows for me because um, I take it as a road show now. So I took it to the northeast near to where she lives because I got a Doctor of Professional Achievement from Teesside University. So I said, can I do Autism's Got Talent at Teesside University? Which is what we did. And she sang there. So anyway, um, I was approached by um, ITV and they said they were doing a show and um, they'd been watching Autism's Got Talent and some of my performers and they were impressed with uh, four of the performers. So I sent um, emails to the guys and I just said, how would you feel about So eventually they chose two and one of the guys um, almost got to the stage of when he was going to record but then he panicked and he had, he's had a few mental health issues so he said I don't feel ready yet to do it but Jasmine did she sang um, must have been about February uh, no when was it November December time it was not that long ago and it was a show called this, this is November. yeah this is my song it was called and she sang a song for her mom in a recording studio with a choir she'd never sang with a choir before I when I was watching it on the television, I felt like my heart was coming out my chest. She was amazing. The comments, it went viral on Twitter. She's had thousands of views. Amazing. Another act that's going to actually be on at the weekend on The Greatest Dancer is we've got a street dance crew that was created because of Autism's Got Talent called Autism With Attitude. And they performed first on um, Autism's Got Talent about six years ago. And they've gone from strength to strength. We've employed a full-time street dance teacher at Hillingdon Manor. And he gets the best out of these kids. He's amazing. So from Autumn's Got Talent, it went to Autumn with Attitude. They then last year went to um, Germany to perform and compete in the European Dance Championships, Street Dance Championships. They'd never, eight of them had never been on a plane before. So I approached Heathrow Airport and I said, can you let these kids just go through as if they were going on the plane um, and that's what they did to make it a little bit easier from them and from that Heathrow Airport were impressed and they, during um, April during Autumn Awareness Month they said how about we do something with the street dancers so I said let's do a flash mob in each terminal of Heathrow Airport <laughs> which is what we did it was amazing these kids were having the best time so we did a flash mob in each um, of the terminals and I always remember this dad getting off um, at departures and he was watching the kids and he came up to me and said, are those children autistic? So I went, yes, they are, because we had a banner and all that, World Autism Awareness Week, blah, blah, blah. He said, my son's just been diagnosed with autism. He said, I was in a really dark place. He said, now you've given me hope with these kids. And he was chatting to them and he went off with a big smile. What also happened, I always find that when we do something, something special happens. Then this... Um, lady came out who was one of security from Heathrow and she came up to me and she went I'm so happy you're doing this she said I'm autistic she said and you're raising awareness about that so she said can I have a picture with the kids and I said yeah and we had a picture all together so from that 
that Amazing. was what was created. So these kids came second in the championship. Amazing. So anyway, um, the greatest dancer, which is a show that's on television, approached Maggie from Pineapple and myself and said, do you know of any dancers? So we said, we know, Autism with Attitude. So they're actually performing at the weekend on uh, BBC, I think it is, The Greatest Dancer. So look out for them at the oh, weekend. Right. Yeah, so they'll be on there. So, yeah. And I'll put, I'll put in all, the, all of the links to the various things yeah, yeah. in the description as well so people can find it. That is yeah. absolutely incredible. But there's lots of stories that have happened from Autism's Got Talent. We've created a charity album called Building Bridges. All the songs were written by um, autistic children or adults. Um, and sang by autistic children and adults. It was um, Aaron, um, who basically has his own studio. So he did all the recording. It took quite a while. It took him over 18 months to put it together because of anxieties. Not, um, he thought he wasn't going to be able to do it. So I was giving him lots of motivational talks. Come on, Aaron, you're brilliant. You can do it. I'll come along to Birmingham. I'll come with the kids on the last day. And we went to this railway station. We were taking photographs. We had such a fun time. Um, so then I said, I want to launch it somewhere special. So I went to the Hard Rock Cafe in Mayfair and I said, I'd like to launch my charity album here. So the guy looked at me, Craig, at the time, and he just thought I was mad. So I just said, look, these kids are good. Can you give me the opportunity? So I showed him lots of different clips of them singing and all the rest of it. And he got back to me, said, yes, we'll do it. So we did it and um, we got lots of people to come along to the event. So I said, can we have a few hours before they sing in the vault with all of the like Jimi Hendrix guitar, Elvis's coat, all the rest of it. So they let us do that. We did photographs. The kids were like beside themselves, you know, having photographs with this fantastic memorabilia. So they sang on the night. We had some celebrities come and I got my charity champions to walk around amongst the crowd to see what the comments were. Because I like to know what people say. And she said some of the celebrities were going to the bar. They were going to get a drink. And then one of them heard them sing and they turned around and they said, they're really good, aren't they? And I thought, yeah, they are, type of thing. So um, Building Bridges was created. We also did um, another uh, song just recently with um, one of our charity patrons, John Paul Rock, who's from Big Brothers. He's just been diagnosed himself with autism and his son Richard is autistic. So they had a song that was really successful in 2003 called Baby Boy. So I said, how about we do it with our singers and you? So that's what we did. And then it was chosen uh, to be played the whole week during charity today um, in December. And it was played whatever they did, um, they played the song in the background. So I'm really proud of that song because um, we did it all in the weekend. Uh, a whole weekend we spent together. The memories we made from that weekend, these kids, they started jamming together. They'd never done it before. It was just like, it was amazing. So this is another song that if you're interested in listening, it's called Baby Boy. And it's on our YouTube channel, but you can also buy it for 99p um, on um, Amazon or all those sort of different sites, digital sites. So that's something else that we did. And one other we did for Anti-Bullying Week was a young man called Macaulay, who's now one of my ambassadors. He wrote the song called Hollow. This is how he felt when he was being bullied. So um, he recorded the song. So that was launched during, not last year, the year before, Anti-Bullying Week. And that was just received lots of praise. So those are the type of projects I try and create uh, create opportunities. It's, it's really fantastic because it does so much. I mean, obviously, it gives these people that are doing these things an outlet, a therapeutic outlet, improves mm -hmm. their mental health. Yeah. Presumably, it improves the mental health and well-being of their families Most and definitely. communities. Yeah. You know, seeing all of these um, achievements, well, connections, yeah. absolutely reduced uh, loneliness and yeah. 
friendships, but also I think most importantly on a wider scale, it busts a lot of the myths and myths, misconceptions yeah. about about um, autism, yeah. particularly uh, the idea, for example, that autistic people can't be creative. That misconception. Yeah. Come to our school, come to yeah. see these kids. You can see. And yeah. they say lack of empathy. That's a lot of rubbish as well. You know, our kids can have yeah. fabulous empathy. One of the girls that performed Emma on the stage, she now comes as a volunteer. She's one of our volunteers because she wants to support the kids because she knows she's been through, you know, singing. She comes to our expo as well that we're having very soon on March the 23rd. So she supports us with that. So it creates lots of different things. And, and she suffers from mental incredible. health issues mm. as well. I mean, it's really incredible and inspiring, as I said. And it, it, it just comes to show really what a difference it can make when you just get on with doing something, yeah. you know, and you, you, uh, because you were saying at the beginning that you were, you were in a dark place initially, yeah. you know, the journey you had, very oh, challenging, very isolated. very isolated, but you turned it around, you know, you, you came up with a plan, mm. right, and you, and you just did it, you're a yeah. doer, aren't you? I am, if so, I say I'm going to do something, I do yeah. it, and I'll make sure I get there, no matter how and I get there, and it created, yeah, and, and it created a momentum, yeah. right, and when you have that momentum, I think you see uh, the the difference it's making mm-hmm. from your actions. And then I think that, as I was saying before, I think that probably charges your own yeah. mental health and drive. And then you, you get round for re- get get ready for round two and round three yeah. and you keep going and making more and more of yeah. an impact. Before you know it, 20, 30 years have passed and, yeah. and you've just made, like I said at the outset, an immeasurable amount of difference. I think one so. thing that parents need to remember is have time out for themselves because I didn't do that for quite a few years because I was so focused on, oh, what if the school doesn't work? I've got to look after Patrick and Angelo. Um, you know, Sean's going to work during the day. He's coming in. I'm going to work during the evening. It was just like, I, I stopped da- Dance was my thing when I was a kid. I started tap dancing when I was six years old. And that was my get out because my dad was so strict with me being Italian. I wasn't allowed to bring friends home, all that sort of thing. It was just the way he brought me up. So tap dancing was my thing. That was like my get out if you like yeah. and my mum used to love taking me dancing I was in competitions and all that was, sort of thing was that what What? because one of the questions I had really because you know I think a lot of people listening to this are going to be thinking how has she achieved all this you know it's it's extraordinary I mean it is literally extraordinary it's yeah. not your regular story particularly given that you had a very very strict upbringing Italian upbringing you yeah. said and your dad was very very strict so how how did you break away from from that that upbringing you know that that socialization I've t- we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast in previous episodes where we're, we're sort of slaves often to our socialization yeah. you know it's all about the, we know what we know because of the way we were raised you know yeah. and it's and it's really crucial that we that we can uh, um, not just stay in that in that frame you know yeah. and, and and sort of move forwards in a positive way beyond that if 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 it needs to happen so and clearly you did that yeah so how what is it what's what what is what's the secret here what are we missing what's yeah it sounds a bit like dance helped for sure big, big time. but 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 beyond that i mean what is it that that what's the, me, the missing um, what's the key thing here that really got you out of that i was very shy i remember i was very shy and i think it was because obviously um i just went to school and i came home and i was allowed to pray with my friends i think my dad was just trying to protect me wrap me up in cotton mm. wool 
you know, worried about, you know, you know that I might get um, hurt or that's sort Because of, I remember I wanted a bike. I always wanted a bike. And every Christmas I'd run downstairs to see if there was a bike. But I never got one because he was worried about me. Oh, so you were always high energy. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so he was, he was sort yeah. of anxious that you were going to hurt yourself. Yeah, so yeah. that sort of thing. So, right, um, right. and then tap dancing I loved. Um, I remember my mum used to have a twin tub washing machine, those old fashioned things. And it had a really good beat to it. So I used to tap dance to the beat of the washing machine. And now I wore the lino down. Um, my dad tried to stop me dancing when I sort of got to 13, 14 and I just wasn't happy that was when I sort of dug my heels in I thought you're not going to stop the way I feel here because I really love dancing I love the way it makes me feel and what people used to say was if they met me and then saw me dance they wouldn't think it was the same person because I was actually quite shy and worried about speaking to people um, I always thought people were better than me. Like when I got older as well, like I used to think, oh, I can't talk to a doctor. Oh, I couldn't talk to a, a psychologist or a police or a mayor or anything like that. And then when I started fighting for when there was nothing for my sons and I was reading about it and I thought, I can't live like this anymore. I feel like I'm a prisoner again, like I was, I felt when I was a kid, if you like. Because um, I remember when I was 16, this was something else. When I was 16, I wanted to be an interpreter. That was something that I'd like to do. And I also loved dance, but I knew my dad wouldn't let me go into the dance world. Um, I actually um, got was offered a part in Bugsy Malone in the film. But because you had to be away from home for six weeks, I wasn't allowed to go away from home for six weeks. It just wasn't allowed. So my friend Susan got the part. So she then came back, knew how gutted I was, and tried to teach me the steps, but it wasn't the same. <laughs> But um, so yeah, anyway, when I got to 16, I thought I want to go to Kirby College and I want to be an interpreter because um, my dad's Italian, um, you know, I could speak Italian um, and I wanted to learn different languages because I was fascinated by the languages. My dad said I couldn't go to college. He ripped my application form up, said I had to stay at home. This is just the way we were brought up. He's, he's very controlling, my dad. Um, so for the first year I was at home and all I had was dance and I began to get depressed and I thought, I don't like this. I don't like the way it's my feeling. And my mum was seeing I started crying, you know, type of thing. So then she was the one that fought my corner and said, you can't keep Anna at home. Let her go to work. So um, I got a job at the house of Fraser. It wasn't really what I wanted to do, but at least I got away from home. So um, I worked in the lingerie department and um, the manager took a shine to me. And she sort of took me under her wing and she said she wanted to send me to business college. So I went for two years and it was day release. So that was the way I could do it. Um, so I worked four days a week and one day I went to business college I created the lingerie project I remember I was quite creative um, and I remember I got a prize for my project that I did on the job that I did so um, then um, I decided I wanted to set up a dance school and tap dancing for kids and because I loved working with children um, so that was something else I did so what I did was I, I worked at um, Sanderson's during the day I finished at five then I went straight to the hall to teach dance till ten 10 o'clock for um, uh, people that wanted to learn at that time it was disco dancing so I was teaching them how to do disco dancing what have you and then I was just so tired all the time and I got really skinny and my mum said you can't do two you've got to either do one or the other she said it's taking taking too much out of you so um, in the end I decided I wanted to do um, the dance school then my dad said he wanted to move to Italy so we all packed up and moved to Italy um, I taught dance there for um, three years and I taught it from the apartment from where we lived. I turned the room into a dance school and I used to speak to the children in English 
and there's I, I, I yeah so it's just unbelievable so, I mean yeah, yeah I'm quite creative in? really I don't know I just and I, I'm always mm. buzzing I'm always thinking of things my mind's always quite active and you were on Strictly as well right yeah oh Strictly, my god the Strictly best experience ever yeah I love Strictly I love the dance I love the costumes my mum used to be a seamstress as well so she used to make costumes um, and what happened was it was the very first people Strictly and they've never done it again and it was in 2015 and they were asking for people to be nominated. And little did I know that they nominated me in the office. And um, there was apparently 11,000 people that were nominated that wanted to do it. And they narrowed it down to 25. And I was one of the 25. Again, I didn't know about it. So they said that I, uh, the way they got around it was I had to go for an interview. And they said they were making an ident for BBC. And I thought, what's an ident? And it's basically before a programme starts... They start off with like, a, have we done anything like seeing hippos swimming or they might be pro promoting something. So what they said they were doing was promoting inspirational people. So um, through the world of dance. So I went along to this interview at BBC in Shepherd's Bush. It was the most bizarre interview because I didn't know what I was being interviewed for. So the girls at work obviously knew and they had to keep it secret. And they said it was so tough to keep it secret from me because I always like want to know what's going on. Um, so I went and I, as soon as I sat down, they started interviewing me. They're asking me all these questions and they said, right now, we're going to ask you to do something. So they said, it might seem a bit strange, but we'd just like you to go with it. I went, all right then. So they said, watch the screen. This, um, this is a dance teacher and she's going to do a few steps. And what we want you to do is copy her and then we're going to take the screen away and we want you to repeat what you've copied. So I watched it and I thought, I was thinking to myself, this is really weird. So anyway, I did it and I did it straight away. So apparently they then went to me and said, afterwards I found out, they thought they couldn't believe I'd picked it up so quickly. And so they said, could you just do it again for us? But this time put a little bit more into it, you know, like a bit more effort. So I did. So they went, thank you very much. And I went and then I rang Lisa, her knowing what was going on. I've just had the weirdest experience. And I said, so anyway, I was chosen as one of the six. Again, they had to keep it quiet. My sister knew about it. My husband knew about it. So Every year I try and get tickets to go to Strictly and you can't get them because there's like 1.3 million people that apply. So they, what, the way they did it was they said that my sister had won two tickets for Strictly. So my sister rings me up, no, it's, hey Anna, she said, guess what, I've won two tickets to Strictly. I went, oh my God, that's amazing. Oh, when are we going and all the rest of it. So then what they did was they rigged the taxi up that I was in with my sister. She said she was so nervous in case she was going to give it away. So the taxi driver actually arrived too early at the place because there was no traffic. So I said, oh, um, he said, oh, I can't drop you off yet. So I said, well, why not? So he said, oh, um, something about, I can't, it came out with some rubbish. So he said, I just need to drive around once more. And um, my sister was just like sitting there and she, she didn't really say very much, but I didn't twig. So anyway, as we got out, we went to the wrong queue. Apparently, there's a queue reserved for VIPs and there's a queue for people who are waiting. She was supposed to have gone to that queue. She went to the <laughs> wrong queue. So we stood in this really long queue. This camera's like going up and down, up and down. They were trying to get her attention, but she wasn't having any of it. So then eventually we went in. So we sat down and I was sat next to the stairs. You know the bit where you see them running up the stairs at Strictly? I said... Hey, Louisa, I said, you've got really good tickets here. But what they'd planned was, apparently, before I got there, someone was pretending to be me sitting in that seat. And what they'd done was they'd put a picture of my face on the floor of Strictly. And it said, it's you, Anna Kennedy. And then 
there's a um, I don't know if you've noticed on Strictly upstairs they've got an upstairs bit and then across this board there was like lights flashing Anna Kennedy it's you they'd rehearsed it so many times just to make sure from where I was sitting I could see it so anyway when I got in there they said before we do the show we're going to do like a little presentation a little announcement about something we're doing in the future uh, that's going to be filmed so I'm sitting there and I was like so excited to be there looking and seeing if I recognised anyone. So Anton came out with Camilla and then they did a little bit of a waltz and then they went like that. And I didn't see my face on the floor. I didn't even see Anna Kennedy because I was too busy looking round. So in the end, my sister had to go chug onto my shoulder and point, look at the floor. Well, that moment the camera went to my face and that picture just went everywhere because you could see I was just like <laughs> stunned thinking what the hell's going on and then Max Branning as in um, Jake Wood was stood by the side of me I didn't even notice him standing there either so he tapped me on the shoulder and he just said I'm going to be your mentor because he'd just been on Strictly so he was going to like help me get through the experience so I just looked at him and he said, I'm, when he said, I'm going to be your mentor, I said, mentor for what? <laughs> so then, then Claudia and um, Tess came to get hold of my hand to take me to the middle of the dance floor. There was 880 people in the audience. And I, all I could remember is thinking, oh my God, oh my God. And then I just went as white as a sheet, apparently. And they said they thought I was going to pass out, but then they just held hold of me. And I didn't know that all my family, all my friends were hiding in the yeah, back. Yeah. And then they all came out and that's when they said I was doing Strictly. And it was just the most amazing experience. I know now what they call, they say about being in the bubble, because you feel like you're in a bubble. And I had, for me, I had the best partner, which was Robin Windsor. So we did the Charleston and it was like, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I kept making him do it again and again and again. And he, I, I remember we've got this picture of him lying on the floor going, oh my God, not again. So, um, but we became great friends. Um, he's come to Autumn's Got Talent a few times. He's amazed by what I do. And he's now um, going to move to St. Lucia in February, which I'm really sad. But he did a farewell tour last year. So I danced eight more times with him, the Charleston across the country. Oh, wow. And then the last one we did, um, it's where they're doing Mamma Mia at the moment. So there was like Pasha there. They were all there. It was amazing. And all my friends came uh, to watch me, to support me dancing. So Incredible. Yeah, it was amazing. So with Autism's Got Talent, what, yeah. what, what, what do people, what, if people are listening, thinking, yeah, I want to I wanna, um, give okay. that a try and submit something what do they do okay so the obviously we're now chosen our 22 um, performers which we're going to announce on the 31st of january so basically every december the 31st is the closing date for entry so you send us in a youtube link or a, a memory stick however you want to send it in to us and then um, we um, choose so we're looking for lots of different varied acts so we've had as i say singers dancers musicians magicians bands um acoustic guitar electric guitar I remember this lady from Sweden she was 44 years old she said oh they're not going to choose me I'm too old because she'd only learned how to play the electric guitar for three years she was amazing I thought get her on you know because I'm always looking for very different talents mm, it's a different there's no age no uh, age okay. I would say five five years yeah, old right. um, uh, we've only ever had one in the nine nearly nine years we've been doing it that's been like I can't do it um, but everybody has actually done it. But there's no pressure. You know, if they sometimes they feel like... Yeah, it's autism friendly. Mm. A lot of the people that come to watch it are all families. We leave uh, empty rows at the back. So if you want to move around, you can. It's a huge foyer. So you can go in and out. 
But you know what you find? That when it's the first 15 to 20 minutes of the show, you'll find that there's a lot of noises, um, might be a bit of shouting or ticking or whatever it's going on. And I think it's a bit of a test to see if we're going to, because obviously I've spoken to parents where they've been asked to leave. So, and then do you know what happens? It just goes really quiet. And it's almost like we've been accepted. They're not worried about anything that we do. You know, and right, it's right. just like, yeah. and it's, I, again, right. you have to be there to yeah. appreciate what I'm talking about. Yeah. So we have a red carpet. We've got celebrities that come. They're treated really special. They have loads of photographs. It's been on BBC Breakfast. They've showed it three times. We've just recently been on Channel 5 because we did it in Liverpool where we had 400 people come to watch the show. So, yeah, my main aim, what I would really like to do is do it in Wembley where we do a big show in Wembley, but we do it alongside mainstream artists to show they're just as good. So that's like, I'd love to do that. But a lot of these places are so expensive and we're always looking for sponsors. So if anyone would like to be a sponsor, we don't get any grants in the charity. Everything we get is either sponsorship or donations. Um, so we don't have a lot of money. Every penny counts for us. Um, we're all volunteers for the charity. Um, and yeah, we're all very passionate about what we do. How can people donate to your charities? It's it all on the charity the website? website, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's Um Theatres don't come cheap, so you know, we ha- especially in London. But we do a roadshow. So if you live in Cornwall or Devon or that surrounding area, we're looking for auditions for there. So what we do is we bring 10 performers from the main show and then we open auditions up to the area that where we're going to. So if you're living in that area and you'd like to audition, the closing date is in May and the show will be in June. It's in a beautiful St. Ives Theatre. And I work with Phil, who was on Strictly With Me. He um, has got this charity, which is amazing. And um, we worked with them last year because it was so good. They've asked us to come back again. So that's what we're doing. So, um, yeah. So that's exciting well, stuff. I, I'm really, really thankful for your um, for everything that you do, and uh, really for the autism okay. community and for, well, thank you for mental what you health. Do as well. What we do is like you know we're giving hope to parents, and we a, a listening ear sometimes can mean so much to a parent. Um, and parents have to struggle, whether it be for education, whether it be for um, you know all the blooming forms you have to fill out. Yeah. They're so difficult. Um, you know, and when they get to adulthood, there's not that much going on out there. So you need really need to search. And what I'd say is if you're looking for a school, go to visit lots of different schools. I go with very much my gut instinct, read Ofsted reports as well. Um, so, and if you want to set something up, do it, you know, you know, it's just the best thing is try and get advice from people, get people who will listen to you, get people who've got lots of different skills, um, you know, when we set up the school, you know, we've got electrician, people who are good with woodwork, people who are good with business, people who are good with accountancy, whatever it is. Just get people who think like you and are positive. You know, you you might find you might find a team that you're not working together. So, you know, you might part ways, but eventually you will get the right team together and the team that are going to work with the kids at the school as well. Yeah. So. It's doable, isn't it? I mean, people it can doable. do it. Yeah. You can yeah. do it. Just start off small. And yeah, I always say, if you've got an idea, just go with mm. it. Because you'll regret it later on in life. It sounds like a, a key ingredient, though, also is, as you said, is to get out there and connect with people. Definitely. You know, bring people together. Different people have got different expertise, right? Yeah. And, and have got a willingness to contribute to something, but don't perhaps know it until yeah. something has, has come to them or 
they know they want to, but they don't know where to go. So, yeah. you know, sometimes it's an opportunity yeah. that, that people are share things on take. social media. I meet so many yeah. people on Twitter. If you want to follow me, it's at Anna Kennedy One. But I network with so many different people that want to be supportive or, you know, they want to come to an event or they want to volunteer or whatever it is. Um, another networking event that we've got is the AKO Expo, which is um, on March the 23rd. I went to a bigger event. And it was quite big and I didn't feel it was um, autism friendly. It was too noisy. It was a bit of a hard sell. So I wanted something that was a little bit more personal. So we um, went to Brunel University and they've got like what's called the Eastern Gateway. And it's great for our expo. So we get something like 600 people that come to the expo on the day. It's £10 for the day. Um, It opens at half past nine and then it closes at five. And what we have is speakers. So our speakers this year, we've got an amazing young lady called Sienna Castellon. She's only 16 years old, but what she's achieved already is amazing. She's become one of my ambassadors just recently. We've also got a lady, um, she's now just changed her name by default, Victoria Carmichael. Um, She's autistic and she's going to be talking about her experiences. We've got another mum like myself, um, because her son wouldn't eat, she created these fantastic chocolates called Nono. And it's called Nono because every time she used to ask him, would he want something to eat? It was like, no, no. So she called them Nono. Amazing nutritional chocolates that have got everything in them. She's she's another amazing mum. She um, runs her business from her flat. Matty is another amazing young man, again, one of my ambassadors. He was diagnosed with um, Asperger's syndrome, dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia. He's CEO of his own business, uh, Matty Street, his name is, Team Cartin. So he's going to be talking about his experience. He, again, was told he'd never amount to anything. Look at what he's doing now. He employs something like 53 people at 21 years old. Um, we've got a gentleman called Connor and, uh, sorry, Paul Goodwin, his son's called Connor, and um, he's going to be talking about PDA, which is a bit of a hot topic at the minute. And then we've got Joanna Gibbs is from Sensational Tutors, so she's going to be talking about her experience. And then we've got stands, about 20 stands, and a lot of them are by parents that have set up their own business. They can't afford to go to these big exhibitions and pay thousands of pounds. So if you want to um, set up a stand at our, um, it's only £150, and um, basically you can set up your stand um, for whatever it is. It could be uh, sensory equipment, it could be books, whatever it is that you want to sell, come along. And then it's like a networking event. It's got Costa there, people can sit, have a chat. We've got a room that we've set up that um, you can come with your children and just sit and have a, you know, they want to have a little bit of a draw, just a bit of quiet time. They can go in there. So it's a great environment. So it's our fourth year. It's proven to be very popular. And um, again, Oh, something else which I haven't mentioned that's going to be there is the Autism Reality Experience. Now, we have partnered with the Autism Reality Experience. We're collaborating with them. And we met them at um, Brunel University three years ago. Queues of people coming in, looking for the three-minute experience of what it's like to have a sensory overload. If you'd like to come along and experience that, we've had professionals go through it. We've had parents that go through it. Adults themselves have tested it so many times so they get it right. We've taken it to Essex. I've got two charity champions there, a husband and wife, and we um, delivered it to first responders. So it was like police, um, fire service, um, ambulance service. And what their son, who's now one of my ambassadors, Aston, had a negative experience with the police and he didn't want anyone else to go through it. So that's why we raised an awareness in Essex. So um, if you'd like to have experience of going through this, it's great. So now because the uh, first responders had such a good feedback from it we're running it across Essex and also again what came from that because I was there for the whole day was that firefighters police and um, 
ambulance people, again, who had sons and daughters on the spectrum, who hadn't shared it with anyone. Then, you know, people that were working with said, oh, I didn't know your son. And then they started chatting. And this is what happens at these events. Again, they're worried about saying something. Don't be worried, just share it. And if they don't talk to you, they're not a real friend then, are they? That's the way I look at it. I've spoken to so many families where they said they've lost friends, really close friends, because their kids have been diagnosed with autism. And I always say, well, they're not real friends. There's plenty of other people out there that want to be your friend. Correct. That's so, so sad. Yeah, so if you're interested in um, the Autumn Reality Experience, um, you can check it out on our charity website. It's going into schools now. It's going, as I say, first responders. It travels across the country. And it's it's really very, very good. Um, and it's going to be aired on Monday because I do the Chrissy B Show, which is the only mental health and well-being show um, on TV, I get a 13-minute slot every month, so I take a guest in with me. And again, also, um, I do a radio show called Women's Radio, and it's one till two every Tuesday, and it's called All Things Autism. And again, I take in a guest every week to talk about different topics. So, yeah, so if you're listening in, it's um, Tuesday on Women's Radio Station, one till two live, and then it's played every day, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from one till two, and I have a new guest every week. You might be interested in coming along and speaking to me. So, again, contact us through our charity website, Anna Kennedy Online. Thank you so much. That is absolutely phenomenal. And I hope people listening uh, have have gotten a real sense of hope from this uh, conversation. Because, you know, what Anna has shown is that autistic people are capable of doing wonderful, incredible things just as much as anyone else. Yeah. And... Uh, they're showing it through, you know, for example, the fantastic stuff that you do on um, Autism's Got Talent. Yeah. And there's lots of options for you as well. So if you're really not sure about what to do, who to connect with, where to go, what advice. I mean, it sounds to me that AnnaKennedyOnline.com is going to give yeah. you a lot of options, a lot of avenues. So that should boost hope as well for the future because there are a lot of um, good options out there for, yeah, for if people if you follow me as well on social media I share stuff every day things that I find surveys whatever it is if I, you know, I feel it's going to be beneficial for everyone I don't endorse anything apart from if it comes from my charity website but if you're interested I'm always sharing stuff on um, Anna Kennedy Online which is Facebook Twitter it's at Anna Kennedy 1 and then I've, I haven't been that long on Instagram that's Anna Kennedy OBE so, um, yeah, I'm always sharing stuff um, and if I find anything that might be, I think might be useful for parents. And again, once your children get to adulthood, um, you know, Patrick, my son, um, I found him um, uh, a work experience. And then when he went to uh, college, um, he had work experience at Pinewood Studios. He didn't actually tell them that he had Asperger's syndrome because he's worried about being discriminated against. But then on his first day, he told them. And now he's got a job there. He's just um, passed his six months probationary period. So he's doing really, really well. Um, when he first started um, in his job as a, uh, trying to train to be a mechanic, he gave it a good go, but he said, Mom, it's not for me. But what he learned from there was how to what banter was. He, he just didn't get it in the garage, you know. Um, and he's made such good friends now with the people at the garage. He goes to see them. They, go, they went out for Christmas meal together, even though he doesn't work there anymore. So it's about educating people. It's about raising awareness, acceptance. And as I always say, if someone says no, find someone who's going to say yes. And just don't give in. Be relentless. That's what that's what I'm about. It's about being relentless. And like I always say, our kids are not second class citizens. 
they have the right to make their mark in the world just like everybody else. I think that's else. a beautiful way to end the conversation. And again, once again, thank you so, so much for thank this uh, interview and all of the work that you do. It's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. And I'd like to share an invitation for you to come to my uh, women's radio station and we can, uh, I can interview you. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a pleasure. Absolutely. Would would be delighted to do that. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks again. Thank you.